this heightened sense over time of just being on alert for everything that you have to pay attention to as an entrepreneur. People will go really hard for a while and then they just crash. What's up and welcome to Start Yours, a podcast from Overload. My name is David Vranikar and this episode is gonna be all about meditation. And so when I said meditation, I'm not talking about meditation as a spiritual practice. I'm not talking about meditation as some sort of hobby. I'm talking about meditation as a tool that you can use to improve your business and to make more money. And there are a couple reasons that we thought this topic deserved its very own episode. So first off, our guests that we have on other episodes, they kept talking about meditation. If you are going to have that well-rounded long-term success, it's going to include that deep breathing, that meditation, that self-reflection, that journaling, those assets that keep your inner game strong. My, my schedule every day is definitely waking up early, about 5 a.m., and I meditate right away. <laughs> it keeps me very clear-headed and gets rid of my stress, which comes with e-commerce, yeah. comes with dropshipping, because there will be failure. The second reason that we wanted to do a meditation episode is that we are living through something right now, this this COVID-19 thing that is just really, really stressful. You know, we're, we're stuck indoors, we're not going out, we're not seeing family and friends, uh, and chances are that this situation is taking a toll on your business as well. So first up, we're gonna talk with Corey Smith. Corey is a longtime entrepreneur. He's also the founder and CEO of Wisdom Labs, which is a company dedicated to increasing productivity by leveraging mindfulness and meditation. Then we're gonna talk with Bill Duane. Now, Bill works for Google. He used to work on some pretty hardcore tech uh, at Google around you know, site reliability and infrastructure, but then he became Google's superintendent of well-being and sustainable performance development programs, which uh, is a way of saying that he helped people at Google level up by, by helping them chill out. So that chat uh, is fun. Be sure to stick around for that. You'll hear Bill explain what humans have in common with nervous monkeys, for example, and how you can turn going to the bathroom into a mindfulness exercise. As always, we hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you do, please consider subscribing. All right, first up is Corey Smith of Wisdom Labs. You all are doing tons of cool stuff at Wisdom Labs and are really advancing this idea that, that meditation and mindfulness and other practices in this direction can drive productivity and be used not just as, you know, like a, like a chill out mechanism, but really as, as business tools. But before we dig into the, the science and the methods uh, behind all of that, I want to ask you first about yourself and first and foremost, how you sniffed out this business opportunity that eventually became Wisdom Labs. As a, as a co-founder of the company, what were the signals that you saw in the market or, or in culture that made you think, you know, hey, there's absolutely space for a company like Wisdom Labs that uses mindfulness to, to increase productivity? Yeah, you know, I think um, the reason why I got into this early on, we've been at it for about six years now. And when we started, it it really was out there. You really, you're gonna you're gonna talk about this in business, and everyone was like, "Okay, uh, that's you know, that's that's just kind of not something we deal with here." There was, you know, I had been an I've been an entrepreneur for the last 25 years or so, and I've seen uh, what it takes to be an entrepreneur, and I've seen what it takes in all kinds of different business environments. And it was clear to me that also as a tech entrepreneur based in San Francisco for all this time, I've I've also seen the, I, you know, you could just, you could see the tension rising in people and the stress 
and worry and anxiety and burnout. And I had also, as an entrepreneur, already burned out myself. And part of the reason I got into this is that if I'm going to be thriving as an entrepreneur myself, I'm going to need to figure this out. And I even had a practice, but I didn't have all the different pieces. I didn't have a lot of the science behind it. And I'm somebody that really wants to understand the science behind things. And another reason also, David, behind this is that after being an entrepreneur, I've had this philosophy of how do you have aligned entrepreneurship and meaning that, you know, how does your purpose in life and what your passions are um, line up with your skills and then line up with what's something that's that's um, greater than yourself? That's that's good for, you know, is mission driven. And so I have always had a radar for where those things line up for me. And, and this whole idea of mindfulness, the crossover between mindfulness, meditation and productivity and the workplace has always been an area of interest for me. And then also, as I mentioned, I had the burnout scenario um, after, you know, running too many companies in a row. And those things really combined to say there's an opportunity here, but we had to figure out, was there really an opportunity? And, you know, that's where we really started getting into companies and, and listening instead of just assuming that we had any kind of answer. And what did you, what did you hear when you, when you started probing around? Well, you know, immediately when we started talking with companies, we realized that they were experiencing so many of the same things that we were as entrepreneurs. And, and that is chronic stress. Stress is not a bad thing. Uh, stresses can be can be really good, but this whole idea of chronic stress that just continually goes on and on, it really takes a hit on your health and well-being. And so it was just obvious right out of the gate that people are really interested in mindfulness, learning how to meditate. But the thing behind it is it's really for some people, it's a it's a spiritual path, if you will. For some people, it's just that what they're doing is not working and their mind is running so fast that they need a, a moment just in just to get the basic skills to understand how to respond instead of react because if you're always in that reaction mode and you're not able to take just a moment between reaction and responding and, and, and a pause there in between then um you know it just Everything is on autopilot all the time, and that's where that kind of wheel and the stress and everything just starts to build up. So I think a lot of, a lot of people that we came across were like, I've got to do something different. I've been hearing about mindfulness, some of these early companies. Let's give it, you know, how do you do this? And then we had the issue of we can't go into companies. We work with a lot of big companies, uh, and we work with a lot of engineers and skeptical uh, folks that you, you, you've got to go in with the science. And so from the very beginning, right. that's the other thing we, we understood is that let's understand and come from a scientific background and understand what's going on in the brain, the neuroscience and all that first before talking about the benefits. And so that's some things we've learned along the way as well. Let's put a pin in the science part real quick. I'm going to get to that in a second, but let me, let me ask you about your personal burnout. Cause I, I know we've had a lot of entrepreneurs that we've talked to, including on podcasts who've burnt out. And, and I know that it can take a lot of different forms. You know, I mean, sometimes it's, it's that uh, the business gets too big. Other times it's that the business isn't big enough. Um, there's, there's a lot of different, you know, triggers that, that can cause people to, to kind of get fried. What, what are your 
burnout look like in, in hindsight? I mean, what was kind of out of hand that, that led to that? You know, there are a couple things. Um, I had one of the early, if not the first uh, online webcast companies called MediaCast in 1994-95. And we did a lot of the very first webcasts. That was a really just a full-on run. Um, and we were doing international work. And then later a company called Webcast Solutions that um, took the same concepts we were doing for media and entertainment companies and music webcasts and did it for corporations. And um, between those two companies, I had an opportunity to work with the United Nations, travel around the world for a year with a team documenting World Heritage Sites. And in that scenario, I got caught in a suicide bomb in Jerusalem, mm. which really rocked my world in a lot of different ways. But one thing it created was post-traumatic stress for me that I really didn't deal with that much because right after that experience, I was on the road for a year um, you know, and I can unpack that at some other time, but I went right into another business, which is this webcast solutions business. And that business just took off. And eventually, you know, we built up this business. It was right, you know, it was again, you know, around the corner. We, we were doing this way before other folks were doing it, even before the technology can catch up 94, 95. When we started the second business, it just took off. Eventually got, um, acquired by a public company. And then I, then I was, you know, I had a whole new set of responsibilities. So it was a situation in this case where it was just success um, that just kept building and a responsibility that kept building and me not dealing with the, the PTSD that I actually had from an early, that earlier situation. And the combination of those two things really just, and I had had uh, three, three businesses in a row uh, without any stop as an entrepreneur. And I see that a lot, especially I'm based in San Francisco. I see that a lot where you get serial entrepreneurs that just go from one thing to another and without a break. And it's good when, you know, you can do that for a while, but that, that, that just catches up with you. I think if I didn't have the PTSD, uh, it still would have caught up with me. Um, mm. And so, yeah, so that was my personal story about how, you know, and then, you know, it's like, okay, well, it turns out I'm still an entrepreneur. I still love this stuff. I'm not going to change in that way. So I better figure something out. I better figure out how to how to solve it for my own self. And and that's how that's how this journey started for me. You've talked about how stress is going up in the workplace, and I can believe that for sure. But I'd say there's that there's at least as much stress, um, you know, for entrepreneurs who are who are launching or or building something of their own. You know, this is something that, of course. Uh, you know, you know very well, but we, you know, we recently did a podcast with Ezra Firestone and Ezra is this, you know, he's this real badass with, with e-commerce and digital marketing. He's been doing it forever. And, you know, we had him on to rap about Facebook ads and the, the podcast was going fine. But then the moment we started talking about stress and I don't even remember how it came up, but, but we started talking about stress and he just went off. He absolutely lit up and he talked about, you know, how anybody who's signing up for entrepreneurship is without fail signing up for a very, very stressful situation. You know, he's lived this entrepreneur stress, he's seen it in others and he knows, you know, how deep it goes. And of course, as, as you've talked about, um, you've lived this entrepreneurship stress yourself. So I'm curious how you would compare or, or kind of contextualize the in-office workplace stress um, that, that I think a lot of people are used to versus the sort of stress that, that people are gonna run into when they, when they try to start their own business or as they, as they scale their own business. How do these things uh, you know, look compared to one another? What I see is, you know, first of all, stress overall, let's just say in the United States, which has, you know, the stats I've been tracking has gone from 73% to 83%, just in a jump in one year of people that say that they're stressed out. And again, stress is not a bad thing in and of itself, but chronic stress 
So first of all, it's widespread and it's global. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you for sure that a typical entrepreneurship path has a lot more inherent stress in it than just um, working in an office for, you know, with a, with a larger company for, for a few reasons. One is because you really have to figure out every element, even the basics of healthcare and um, how you payroll, your, your payroll and, yeah. and all the different things that you just don't, you know, where, you know, when you come into the office, you're, you know, do you have an, do you have a chair and do you have, you know, like shared workspaces are helping in that regard, but you know, all the basics. And, um, and then, you know, every little element you've got to figure out yourself. And if you're one or two or three person, four or five, seven, eight person shop, then that means everyone's wearing a lot of hats. And it means everyone's doing more than what they would be doing typically in a particular role in another kind of situation. And so just inherently, it's much more stressful. You're, you're dealing with a situation and anyone who's listening to this is thinking about being an entrepreneur that's not, doesn't have their w eyes wide open on this should, should definitely be thinking about all those elements before they go into it because it's not, you know, for the pain of heart at all. It really is mm -hmm. something. And that's why um, for me, it really is important that to go into something that you feel some passion about. One, that something you feel some purpose around, some passion around, something that lights you up and gives you more energy because there are gonna be these times. Second, second of all, it's something that really fits your skill set that you're really, really good at and that you can find other people to do the things that you're not good at. So that's, that's that. And then also, if at all possible, we're entering into a time where everyone's skills on the entrepreneurship side of things are needed for, for doing something that's greater than themselves, that's helpful for people on the planet. And also businesses are going to thrive that are looking at something beyond just their uh, own well-being. And so, you know, that's that that third piece is a little bit harder to get when you're just trying to figure out how to get product market fit and your, your product right. off the ground. But if you can take some time back and think about those three buckets between the passion, the skills and the mission, and you can start to align those a lot of times when you do have these hard times, you'll have the wind at your back when it comes when when the hard times come up and you're actually enjoying what you're doing, you're enjoying the process. And so it, it, it takes you through the hard times. If it's just about the money or just about the opportunity, I think I see over and over again, organizations just fail because there's not enough to get them through the hard times because it's not really built into what they're about, built into their skill set. It's an idea, it's a concept, uh, rather than actually something that is aligned. And alignment's uh, kind of the name of the game. So what was it about entrepreneurship for you that made it worth continuing to chase. If, if we excerpt what you just said, we could, we could paint a pretty gloomy picture of entrepreneurship about the inherent stress and then having to do everything yourself. What was it about it that you said, okay, I'm going to stomach this, I'm going to absorb this, and, and, and I'm going to do it anyway because of why? I want to paint the, the negative picture just to get it out of the way. I, I think entrepreneurship <laughs> is is an absolute gift uh, for me uh -huh. in my life. What it's allowed me to do is to do just those things, align the things that I'm most passionate about. I have this uh, piece of marble on my desk with a roomy quote, let the beauty you love be what you do. If you have an opportunity to do something that you're really um, passionate about, that really lights you up, that's your particular gift, and you can create a business around something that you that you really get excited about and you want to come in to work every day. And it has been a real gift for me. It's been hard, but I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I 
I love what I do. And even in the hardest times, I really wouldn't trade it. So there are certain people that are built that way. And there are certain people that aren't built that way. And if you're not built that way, give it a, a, a thought. But if, you, if you're not built that way, but you, um, in other words, you, it's really hard for you to deal with the stress, there are ways to kind of, you know, mitigate that. And that's what, you know, that's what we're doing <laughs> at mm -hmm. Wisdom Labs is to kind of help in that regard. But yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. My whole life um, has been dedicated to entrepreneurship and working with entrepreneurs and leading uh, shared workspaces for entrepreneurs, like I led the Impact Hub. Social entrepreneurship is uh, something that I've been really passionate about over the years. And, and I've seen, you know, so many people thrive in that environment. It's just know yourself before you go into it. You all at Wisdom Labs really lean a lot on science. And you, you brought this up earlier. And, and you know, a, a quick look at your blog makes this, makes this very clear. So one blog post, for example, says, scientific studies have shown that meditation, even by non-expert meditators, can enhance creative thinking and improve the ability to solve problems that require insight. And then there's another post that says, we at Wisdom Labs know that a regular meditation practice has the power to help reduce stress and anxiety, be more creative, focus better, get more done. Obviously this, uh, this medium does not, you know, lend itself to you showing us brain scans and, and charts and graphs and stuff. But if you would walk us through this science that, that keeps coming up and, and what the science says about this connection between, you know, meditation and, and creativity, what, what are some of the key points that people should know about that connection? Yeah. Study after study and meta studies that look at this are just keep coming back to the, to the, to the results that, um, a, a regular mindfulness practice, typically through meditation, but there are a lot of different ways to kind of come to this, helps downregulate your system and helps, really helps and in so many different ways about just creating a ground and a place for you to operate from. I'm not a scientist myself. We have a chief science officer in, in our company we have from the very beginning, Dr. Parneet Paul, that writes a lot about this and has looked at a lot of the different studies, but I mean, it's all, it's all very much available online about the, the connections between mindfulness and uh, both productivity, well-being, and um, everything that we do is, as it relates to the content that we have on our Wise at Work app and on our communities program, basically has that same structure where we will um, start with the, a lesson and then a practice. So what I mean by that is a science-based lesson around, say, fixed mindset or open mindset. What's the science say? What's happening in the brain? And then the practice. So everything that we do, we're working with the top scientists in um, the science of happiness, um, in emotional awareness, um, in all these different categories. And everything we do on our Wise at Work app and our, our communities program has that same structure. Let's, let's provide the science on this particular minor top, topic that we're talking about, and then let's, let's try a practice. So it's a little bit like the gym. So I, and also, we've just seen over and over again, if you, if, you don't, if you don't get the science to start with, it's hard to do the practice. So it really breaks down by you know, the various uh, practices that, that we have on the app or on our uh, communities program. And so if, if creativity and, and kind of thoughtful problem solving, if those are scientifically confirmed byproducts of mindfulness practices, like what's on the flip side? What are the bad byproducts of not having any sort of foundation here? And what, you know, especially as it pertains to entrepreneurship, like what are some of the headaches that people might not be equipped to deal with if they don't take, you know, a, a few minutes a day 
um, to, to kind of wrap their arms around this? Yeah, you know, you have a tendency as an entrepreneur just to run, run, run. And there's a never-ending task, a list of tasks that you need to get done on a particular day. And when you're not doing something and you're laying in bed, oftentimes you're worrying about the things you didn't get done or you've got coming up. And so spending so much time in either the past or in the future. And if you're doing that all the time, you don't have, a, you don't have an opportunity just to let your system relax and unplug from that. And this heightened sense over time of just being on alert for everything that you have to pay attention to as an entrepreneur and what could go wrong and where are all the Achilles heels? What, was, what went wrong in the past? It just, people will go really hard for a while and then they just crash. And maybe they get back up and then they go for a while and then they crash again. So it really is important to get some type of practice going that allows you to unhook from that for a period of time. And there are some easy, easy things you can do, in, including just um, deep breathing. It's one of the things, you know, you could take about 20,000 breaths a day on average. It's one of those things that you have to do anyway. And you can actually just take a deeper breath in any given moment, and that will downregulate your nervous system and kick in your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest instead of the fight and flight system. And so you can do different types of breathing that just has, a, you can breathe in for a period of time, hold, and then the slow exhale. I like a four, seven, eight pattern where you're breathing in for four, holding for seven and exhaling for eight. If you do that a round of three times, instantly, downregulate your nervous system. And there's a thing which doesn't cost an entrepreneur any amount of time that actually just in the moment helps with this process of unhooking from this chronic stress situation. You know, another thing I would just mention that I find really helpful is when you're an entrepreneur, you go from one thing to another to another. Almost always there's something coming up right around the corner. And what I do is when I, I set a signal that before I go between this meeting and that meeting, I will just set, just take one minute, one deep breath and ask myself, what's my intention for this upcoming meeting or this upcoming segment of my day? Just taking a breath and taking a moment about thinking about what's my intention for this next segment of my day and this next interaction keeps you from dragging whatever it was that you just got done doing, if say it's a meeting with your co-founder or somebody on your team, into this next conversation. And it also helps you set your intention right away. And putting that breath in there instantly kind of like gives you an opportunity throughout your day, little touch points to just simply uh, downregulate your um, system and release a little bit of that stress throughout the day instead of you know, um, just in the morning or just in the evening through a mindfulness or meditation practice, which is also awesome. One word that, that comes up a lot um, in, in the Wisdom Labs content, I've heard you use it uh, as well in, in talks that you've given, is, is compassion. And I think compassion is perhaps an even harder concept for people to, to rally behind than, than meditation or mindfulness. Just because compassion, it's softer or flimsier or whatever the word is, kind of like a, a, a barefoot, you know, tree hugger vibe with, with this word that, that I think <laughs> the other words don't, don't have as much. But, but yeah. you know, you all talk about compassion as a way to, to reduce friction and, and increase self-awareness. And really, you know, it has the same business asset as these other things that we've been talking about. 
if someone dismisses passion as some you know hippie nonsense, what what are they missing? You know, again, for anyone that wants to check out the app, you can get it for free. And there is a great seven part series there called Compassion in Action by Lori Schwanbeck. And it's 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 basically uh, and then we also have another from the Greater Good Science Center, which is all about the science uh, on compassion. So we've, we've gotten past mindfulness. We've gotten we've gotten past that idea. We know there's enough studies out there that show meditation is good for for you, your productivity, but also just your overall well-being. Now, this next front edge really is kind of compassion. And so you see, you're starting to see people. One of our big clients is uh, LinkedIn. Uh, the leader of that company, Jeff Weiner, talks about compassionate leadership. We also work with uh, Salesforce and, and their CEO, Mark Benioff, um, talks about this as well. And it's not a matter of, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of science behind this as well. But basically, compassion um, is, a, it's a, it is traditionally a soft word. The idea first is, most people think it's always like, give, give it to somebody else. But the first thing, actually, I think people want to know about compassion is, how can you have more self-compassion? Because oftentimes we are the hardest on ourselves and we have this inner critic that's just constantly going, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing this. So the people beating up on ourselves is not somebody externally, you may have that happening, your, your co-founder or your partner, but mostly it happens with ourselves. So to the degree we can be self-compassionate and again, on our app, we have something called um, letting go of the inner critic and why you should do that and what the science is, again, about that. Um, but self-compassion is the first part of it. But compassion goes deeper than that. It's also seeing somebody else and wanting to help that other person. And by making a connection with other people and being of service to other people gives you energy. It gives you more than actually what it takes away. So it's counterintuitive that, you know, being compassionate to other people um, is good, good for you, your well-being. But study after study shows that well-being is improved by uh, helping or intending to want to help other people. And certainly self-compassion is a great start um, for people just to, to really just start to talk to themselves in a way and disavow themselves of this idea that the inner critic in me, the one that's driving me all the time, you're not good enough, you should do this, is the only thing that propels you forward. In, actual, in actuality, when you look behind that, if you always have this inner critic that's you're not good enough, you're not doing this, it actually constricts you and it constricts your options and it constricts your view. And to the degree you can start to let go of that inner critic, and start to say, yeah, I got it. I understand you're here to kind of, you know, help me out, but I don't <laughs> need that at this moment. It's actually not helpful to me. And start to get a little bit of control over your environment and your thoughts. You can start to put that aside. And I think those are the things that are really applicable to, you know, just a day-to-day -day entrepreneur. Awesome. Corey, we can leave it there. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. And anybody that wants to check out uh, Wisdom Labs, uh, head over to wisdomlabs.com. They got podcasts, blog, they got research, and of course, uh, the app that Corey mentioned. You can read more about that and, and find out where to download it there. But yeah, Corey, thanks so much for, for breaking this all down for us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. It's been a real pleasure. All right, thanks again to Corey Smith of Wisdom Labs. And while we're paused here, let me take just a few seconds, 30 of them actually, to say that we'd be absolutely thrilled if you took a moment to leave a rating or a review of Start Yours in your podcast app. Every single one of those is super helpful as we build this sucker and bring you more insights from people like Corey Smith or people like our next guest, Bill Duane. 
An expression that I've heard you use a couple of times is we are all the descendants of nervous monkeys. What does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, whenever I was experiencing stress of one kind or another, um, but particularly at work, I had this idea like if I was better, if I was a better executive, if I was a better uh, engineer, I wouldn't feel this anxious about this, this stuff that I'm doing. So as I read into uh, uh, neurobiology, particularly the neurobiology of evolution, what are the characteristics that made humans successful? One of them was being anxious. You know, this idea of if there's a potential threat, better to assume it's a threat and act on it than not, right? Even though that's what we call a false positive in computer science. You know, if, if you and I are cave people and we're sitting outside the cave, at night around a fire and we hear a twig snap in the darkness. If you haul back into the cave in safety and I assume, oh, that's stock from the next village come to visit, you can be wrong 10,000 times and you still get to survive and make baby cave people. I only have to be wrong once. So we have this nervous system that's really tilted towards when in doubt, freak out. And so up until very, very recently, this has been a huge survival advantage. The problem is now is that we are now the descendants of those nervous monkeys, like the chilled out Lebowski monkeys didn't, didn't <laughs> make it. So now we have this nervous system that scans, you know, both the present and the future, and you know, Lord help us, even the past, looking for threats. And then our system will have a habit of activating the fight or flight systems preemptively just in case it's a threat. Now, if you were working behind a computer or you're working in an office, the chances of you being in physical danger as a result of what you're doing are really, really minimal, almost non-existent. And yet, both you and I and the people listening to this talk have a nervous system that if there was a loud noise near us, would startle us, cause us to focus attention on it, elevate our heartbeat, do all these things relatively involuntarily. And you know, and the kicker is an email can do that. Yeah. Like, you ever get an email and you know, you can feel like your heart going and then maybe your cheeks are flushing because the person is unreasonable or they're pulling some maneuver. This is the nervous monkey in you saying this could be a threat, but so many times that stress reaction is misplaced and actually inhibits us from being able to do the smart thing. Yeah, I mean, that all that all checks out and, and there's a lot of a lot of new research in, in, in evolutionary psychology, like you mentioned, that that really shows how ill-suited our brains are for for chilling and just being satisfied. So evolutionarily, like you said, it's not really productive to be to be satisfied. But but what you say and, and what a lot of people in, in this space say is that there are knock on effects that are greater than just being antsy or, or just being down sometimes and that there's, there's an impact on creativity and on productivity. And so talk, if you would, about not just this tendency that we have to be wound up, but, but what this tendency means in our day-to-day -day lives and how it manifests uh, in these various ways. When we talk about stress, a little bit of stress is good. If you've ever felt like, you know, at, at low levels, stress increases your focus. Like when you're worried about something, you're focused on it. And to right. a certain extent, that's really good. Increased yeah. blood flow to the brain, mental acuity a little bit higher. You have a sense of energy and purpose. Like these are all great things. Uh, Kelly McGonigal from Stanford has a great book called The Upside of Stress that goes really deeply into this. But there's a certain point at which that fight or flight response Right? The fight or flight response kicks in the older parts of the brain and turns off the newer parts of the brain. 
you know, so the parts that are responsible for connection, creativity, thought, you more and more go on to autopilot. And when you go on to autopilot, you know, it's the, you know, this is a vast oversimplification, but what people call the lizard brain and the paleomammalian brain really kicks in automatically. And when that happens, you start doing things on autopilot. And when we're on autopilot, we have a tendency to look at the world through very dark glasses. Fascinating research that shows that when we're highly stressed, humans look at ambiguous data as threatening. So mm -hmm. that same email that seems super threatening after a good night's sleep and some exercise or some meditation will all of a sudden not seem that, that, you know, that, that clear. So what you end up with is um, the very parts of your brain that are required for innovation, for connection, for thinking through complex problems, when you're highly stressed, those actually go offline. So the, the, the research that looks at stress arousal and performance at work shows a little bit of stress is good, a little bit of stress gives you all the things we talked about in the beginning. There's a certain point at which it becomes neutral and then actually negative. You send the email that you regret, you make a terrible decision, you know, in the heat of the moment. Um, and when we're in this really intense autopilot mode, focus becomes tunnel vision and, and we do generally what was successful for us last time, even though the situation may have changed. So there's that idea that, you know, I think if you want to be an entrepreneur, you're stepping into a lot more unknown and ambiguity. Now, the human nervous system deals with unknown and ambiguity with a heightened sense of alert. But yet, you become an entrepreneur to, to create things, to have something new, which means that you have to sort of face the unknown. But we have this sort of body of mind that happens to generally treat the unknown as dangerous. So for me, there's this big question, okay, we're not stuck with this, you know, thanks to neuroplasticity, we have the ability to change the structure and function of our brains and nervous system uh, via various methods. Um, and so, uh, you know, just whenever, whenever I'm giving a talk, I always mention like, it's super depressing in the beginning, but trust me, <laughs> okay, um, because we, we are in a pickle. And I think if you want to be an entrepreneur, you're sort of wading into the middle of that, of that situation, because the things that are very important for survival, like income, your business thriving, you know, that's actually on the table now in a way that's a little bit not on the table if you're working an office job. You talk about resilience building and, and I, you know, when you mentioned the, the different stresses that an entrepreneur will face, I think, you know, resilience building is, is absolutely something to be, to be taken into account. And, and some examples that you've used um, when it comes to resilience building include Napping, walking, reflecting, and, and meditating. And I'd say that those are all things that people are kind of predisposed to view as, if not waste of time, then, then at least not hyperproductive. You know, uh, I, it, it's, it's hard, to, it's hard to, to generate revenue while, while reflecting. And so uh, I want to ask how, how people can overcome this, uh, I don't know, this, this allergy to these activities that require deliberately not doing. So you're not checking emails, you're not launching a new campaign, you're not replying on Slack or, or whatever, your, whatever your thing is. It, it's, it's tricky to do. So I'm curious how to, how to cultivate this ability to, to not do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it seems like it's off task. Now, you know, the research shows generally that the level of effort and stress becomes neutral and then negative. And I think we've all known this is a certain point that when you're super burnt out, you end up creating more work for yourself down the road. But in the moment of saying, oh, man, I'm a little uptight. God, I really got to get this stuff out. Um, it can be radically counterintuitive to say, in order to get more done, I should go sit quietly in that corner 
even though my inbox <laughs> is full. Um, so for me, one of the things that was really important was to convince myself with the science and the research that this was true. Two is that I, I'm pretty lucky. For me, mindfulness and exercise were the, were the first two things that got me, and I immediately felt better and clearer. I was like, okay, you know, it's actually, it's worth it to take 10 minutes out and then come back because I know that I just feel like I got a reset. So this brings me to the most important point is that the right resilience building thing that you do is the one that you actually do, not the one that you should do. So for example, if you say, oh, I really want to get into meditation and it's not for you, well, move on to something that you do like to do, right? You, you can have a meditative walk, you can go to the gym, you can take a nap. So the most important thing is to actually realize which of these things that can give you resilience actually does, and then do that. Because I think having that short feedback loop, so many times some of these resilience building things take a few weeks or months to really have their effect build up. And it's really tough in the beginning to establish a habit if you're not getting a good short-term you know, return on investment. Sure. Yeah, there's this idea of the... Uh, the wedge model of habit formation. And with that, normally when we say, oh, I'm gonna go to the gym and I'm gonna go for an hour, and then like the first day you don't go and then you're like, oh, I'm a failure and I never go. So BJ Fogg from Stanford calls this the wedge model of habit formation. So one is choose something that you actually like, like not something you feel like you should be doing, but something where there's, where either it's enjoyable or get an actual ah, sense of that. And, you know, this can be napping, this can be walking or moving your body. Um, interestingly, at Google, number one with a bullet of what people found restorative was time with friends and family. So find the thing that works for you. Do it in very small doses. Very small doses means you don't end up saying, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour. And then you don't, and then you feel like a failure, and so you never go again. If you do it in small amounts, and this also speaks to the origin of your question, of if you do it in small amounts and say, I'm just going to do this for five or ten minutes, you know, let's be honest, you would spend that much time spurring around on Reddit or, or something else. So it doesn't need to be this huge thing. The wedge model says enjoyable and frequent and on the regular. So finding a trigger like the same time every day, but just in a tiny, tiny amount. So I think that's a way to get over this. And then in particular, if the initial time investment is pretty small and you get a, an immediate sense of ah, then all of a sudden you can then start increasing the time depending on how much return on investment you get for it. I think, you know, we, we talked about meditation and I think you could say that the, the words out on, on meditation, there are meditation apps and meditation books and a, a mountain of meditation content online. And now as, as you well know, meditation has been embraced by, by companies as a way to kind of, you know, foster a healthy workplace. And, and, and this is something that you've helped spearhead uh, inside of Google. But I think as, you know, as part of this mainstreamification of, of meditation, the word now has more meanings than ever. You know, some people think about meditation as like a, a 60 second thing that they can, you know, do on the, on the subway and, and, Others think it's, you know, got to gotta get on the seat for half an hour. Or it doesn't count. And so what, what should people think about when they hear the word meditation? And, and what's uh, and, and on the other side of that, what's something that they shouldn't associate with meditation? Yeah. Wow. It's a good, good and broad question. And I feel like I need to start answering it with a confession. If you had come to me like 15 years ago and said like, hey, you should really check out meditation. I would have been like, no way, you hippie. You know, <laughs> like, I'm like, no, I'm a engineer, I'm a scientist, I'm an executive, I'm not into 
crystals and meditation and incense and all that crap. And so what's interesting is, so so, so one is that if, if if there's anyone out there listening to this and saying meditation isn't for me, uh, one is I am I am with you. And two is that's totally okay. Remember what I said earlier, like the best resilience thing is the one that works for you. One is if anybody here is feeling bad, if anyone listening to this is feeling bad because they tried meditation and they didn't like it, totally fine. There's other ways to go about developing um, resilience. Now, having said that, I also think, as you mentioned, that meditation covers a huge amount of ground, right? And when we when we talk about mindfulness and meditation, we are talking about a huge variety of things. We're talking about spiritual traditions, in some cases, that you know, where the where the meditation is part of a much larger spiritual tradition that includes things like ethics and behaviors and a philosophy of a way of life. Um, that's meditation. Also, the secular mindfulness app, you know, where you're doing 30-second pops, also meditation. So imagine all that gap in between there. But generally speaking, you know, some ways to think about what mindfulness and meditation is. So meditation is the activity that then gives you mindfulness. So for me, mindfulness, my, my way of shorthand is you develop the skills. If you're mindful, you have self-awareness, you have self-regulation, and you have connection and understanding, or we could call that compassion and empathy also. These are all trainable skills, which is amazing. I mean, you know, my roommate from undergrad, uh, we're talking and he's just like, oh, you're much less of a jerk now than you used to be. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't use the word jerk. And it was a little tough to hear, but at the same time, it was like, okay, these these are actually sort of, uh, uh, sort of profound changes. So mindfulness is that outcome. Meditation is a process by which then you reach that. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're not meditating to become an excellent meditator. Right. You're meditating so that even when you're not doing these practices, that you do have these skills of self-awareness, self-regulation, connection and understanding um, to fall back on. So the way that that would connect to the resilience conversation is a lot of times when I was really stressed out, I didn't know I was stressed out. Right. Is the boiling frog uh, syndrome. So some kinds of mindfulness, like mindfulness of the body, you know, like, you know, like in poker, there's a thing called tells, you know, when you're sure. bluffing, like you'll pull your ear or, or you'll, you'll wink or something. Your body is constantly giving you tells about your emotional state, uh, many of which if, you know, we, 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 don't, we, we don't pay attention to because they're nonverbal. They're just sort of sensations in the body. So one type of meditation has you examining your body, and the science shows us that this increases emotional awareness and also emotional regulation, and also awareness of other people's emotions. So that's one form of meditation. And, and something that's common between most of these is you're developing this moment-by-moment present-time awareness, John Kabat-Zinn's uh, definition, sorry, moment-by-moment non-judging awareness. Yeah, that, that non-judging part is really important, where you're just sort of a kind scientist observing your own state and condition. So I think it's super important to, to say that meditation is the exercise, mindfulness is the result, and the, there's a huge different, there's many different kinds of meditation that get you there. There's the body meditation, there's breath meditation, you can do connection and understanding meditation. So basically they all have this idea of moment by moment, present time awareness without being super judgy about it and doing it on the regular. Um, yeah. The great news is that mindfulness and meditation works. The The challenging part is that it doesn't work if you don't do it. Yeah. And, and the more you do it on the regular, the more helpful it is. 
yeah. which is why I think that wedge model is so important of just, you know, I think even for five minutes, most people will, will, will notice something. But then when you do it for 20 minutes, an hour, a day, 30 days, you know, the longest silent retreat I've done was a month. And those are really high powered experiences. But, you know, going back to the wedge model, like, you know, you wouldn't start off at the gym lifting 500 pounds. You'd probably injure yourself. Uh, I think in the same way that it's really good to do the short meditation, try out different kinds of meditations, see which one resonates with you, uh, and then go on from there. Bill, one more, one more question for you, then I'll let you get out of here. So you talk about trying to make mindfulness and, and well-being not, not a side project or a, or a compartmentalized part of the day, but instead really building it into, you know, the, the, the fabric of, of your, of your everyday life, really making it an, an approach to how you live just on a real tactical level. You know, what could you tell somebody who wants to adopt these things and, and is ready to implement, but doesn't really know how it's going to fit into their, you know, into their day? Yeah. So I'll give one, one simple and one profound answer. So the simple answer is just look for places where you can double up. Um, one of the kinds of mindfulness meditation you can do is walking meditation. Normally we do that on autopilot. And so you just pay attention to the pressure on your feet while you walk to the bathroom. You're gonna to walk to the bathroom a few times a day. You know, what if, what if you took something as prosaic as peeing and turned it into this resilience building, this quite beautiful form of, of practicing mindfulness? I always get a giggle when I take something like, you know, going to the bathroom and turn it into, uh, you know, the little bit of a break that it actually is instead of yeah. thinking about, you know, whatever work I'm doing through that period. So that's the simple and funny one. Here's the more profound one. I mentioned before there were different kinds of, of meditation you can do. You can do meditation on the body. You can do meditation on sounds, meditation on things that you, that you look at. So this means that you can use other people as your object of mindfulness. And one of the things I learned through the Google Emotional Intelligence Program called Search Inside Yourself was how to listen mindfully. So a lot of times as a boss, I would have you know meetings with people that worked for me and I was listening to what they're saying, but I was also coming up with what brilliant advice or sage advice I was going to give them or ways in which they were wrong. When someone said something I disagreed with, like, oh, I'm already formulating my responses in terms of what they're going to say. And this is particularly true if you're in a conflict with somebody. What if you actually used your conversation with the other person as them as the object of meditation? So when you're meditating, you know, you're, so if you're paying attention to the breath, you're breathing, and then your mind goes in a different direction and you say, oh, okay. And then you bring it back. What if you were doing that about listening to somebody, that anytime you had a thought of, oh, here's what I'm going to say, you're like, I'm just going to actually listen to this person. The experience of being listened to at that level is profound for most people because it happens so rarely. Mm -hmm. you know, like, like maybe in a relationship, you get home and your spouse says, you know, this is what happened during my day and you start giving advice immediately. You know, one of the most simple and profound ways has actually just been to listen to the person. And I find that when I'm in a a conflict in a job setting, so many times genuinely hearing the person out without defensiveness, like genuinely getting curious about what it's like for them. I would say that solves it like maybe 60% of the time, like just for that person to be genuinely heard. And all of a sudden the nature of like coaching conversations goes really differently. So all I'm doing is I'm taking the skills that I learned while doing meditation of focus and non-judgmental awareness and then applying that to listening to somebody else so that is something where if you can learn that trick one is i mentioned the number one thing that googlers said was um 
increasing the resilience was time with friends and family. It's like supercharging your time with somebody. Whereas mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're on the phone, if you're doing other stuff and, and saying, you know, your kid or your spouse is you know, like, what, what, if you're halfway there. So th- this actually, this example ties into a knot, all the, all the things that you brought up. One is that you're making much better usage of your time because you're not killing it with continuous partial attention. You know, uh, two is that the quality, like your own experience of being connected with this other person and we are social creatures. You know, the joke I use when I'm teaching is next time you get out of the shower, before you get dressed, look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am the apex predator on this planet. <laughs> and it seems super funny. But the only reason that we are, even though so many other creatures on this planet could kick our ass, is that we use technology and tools and have since the get go. And we do things in groups. We are inherently wired to connect. So, you know, if, if you can learn the skill of mindful listening, that's something that, that you can bake into your day and it, it supercharges the time. It really increases the quality of the relationships. It actually makes conflict easier to have, which in a lot of ways is good. I mean, better to have a small, open-hearted conflict early than passive-aggressively let it, uh, let it go up. So, yeah, so the, the two things is... You know, look for an opportunity for it to change how you interact with people in general. Uh, and then two is, you know, also do some practice while you're on your way to pee. <laughs> All right, Bill, we can leave it there. Thanks uh, so much for taking the time to chat. If you want to check out more from Bill, BillDwayne.com. That's D-U-A-N-E. Bill, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, great. Thank you. One more big thank you to Bill and Corey for joining us and meditation is just one of the many, many angles uh, that we are hitting when it comes to coronavirus and COVID-19. There is a lot going on, a lot of unique circumstances that we're all dealing with right now in the Overload vlog, the Overload YouTube channel, and of course here on the Overload podcast, we are gonna dissect these different topics from every conceivable angle. We wanna be there with you as, uh, as we all deal with this and as we all get through this. So check us out at any one of those spots. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you soon.